Welcome, everyone. On, on behalf of Professor Morris Fraser, we're delighted um, to have you at an LSE um, European Institute event in association with uh, Génération France. It's part of the series uh, Perspectives on Europe. Uh, a couple of uh, things. Please note that the Twitter hashtag is hash LSE France. Uh, that we are being recorded and that hopefully there should be a podcast uh, online uh, fairly soon. Also, um, many thanks to Jean-François Coupé for being uh, with us here today at the LSE. Um, at the forefront of the uh, French opposition, uh, Jean-François Coupé is uh, leader of the UMP party as well as MP, Maire, of, of Meaux, cinema. Um, he has had several ministerial roles, as you know, uh, and notably uh, Minister for Budget in, in 0507. Um, he, um, in his lecture, he will, um, he will outline, uh, or he will assess uh, François, not François Mitterrand, François Hollande's presidency. <laughs> I, I thought I'd, uh, I'd, I'd, I'd do that one. It starts very well. <laughs> François Hollande's presidency and outline um, uh, some of the plans uh, to reform uh, France as well as in terms of European policy. Uh, after his lecture, uh, we will have a Q&A session uh, where we will ask you to, to, to name yourself and to also name your affiliation if possible. Um, Monsieur Jean-François Coupé. The LSE floor is yours. Thank you very much, um, and thank you to all of you. It's a great pleasure and a great honor to speak here at the LSE, which is a prestigious university, worldwide known. And um, this encounter, based on the theme, France's place in Europe, will give me the opportunity to, um, to share with you a few personal thoughts about the situation one year after the election of um, the President Hollande and of course to answer to your questions because um, all these brings you probably to have many questions to ask about what we are living in France and how we can manage the future. Um, I really would like to share some personal thoughts about uh, the situation because I think it's very, very important for us to take into account what's going on. And I, I don't want to have only with you a critical uh, analysis of the situation just to say Hollande is very bad, uh, we are very good. This is not at all the way I want to have the discussion with you. Um, I think things are much deeper than that. Since the 2008 financial crisis, um, the uncertainty is weighing on the European economy. And um, my analysis is that we are now paying the price of this crisis, which has weakened the confidence of economic actors and has, have, has had a negative impact in the institution, the financial institutions. But actually, according to me, uh, this 2008 crisis has been the revelation and the acceleration of a change in our time that many European leaders had not anticipated. 
And this is, according to me, the key question. For many years now, especially with the fall of the Berlin Wall, the paradigm of the uh, globalized economy has been radically transformed. Huge competitive forces grew in the world. Important sovereign states benefiting from a large workforce, abundant savings, and very influential multinational corporations. The numerical revolution, the internationalization of transports, communication, finance, are huge forces, and we now find ourselves directly faced with a one and only theater of operation, the globalized economy. And of course, these huge changes accelerated the weakening of the European continent, and particularly of the French model. Growth was around uh, 6% in the 50s, 3% in the 70s, and 1% the beginning of the century. And no recession threatens many state members, like France or Great Britain. And I think it's very important to mention that on the world level, even in an uncertain year as 2013, the growth rate is around 2 or 3% according to uh, the different statistics institutes. So this planet-scale transformation called for major reforms at the national level with a goal to strengthen our competitiveness to take advantage of global growth. All of you perfectly know and are perfectly aware of all that. But you must keep in mind that a large part of our population didn't accept, didn't accept it as it was. And political leaders coming from the left wing and for the, from the right wing as well didn't have the courage to tell them that they were wrong. It's a sort of um, global lie. And we have now to take that into account and according to me, to tell the truth to our people. Of course, we tried to act as if nothing had happened. We tried to hide our loss of competitiveness by increasing public spending. There is one indicator that no one seems to pay attention to, and that is, in fact, as important as the budget deficit figures. It is the trade balance. In 2012, when France had a trade deficit of 67 billion euros and Great Britain something like 70 billion euros, Germany had a trade surplus of plus 188 billion euros. And what does that mean? It means that our economic model is totally unbalanced. We produce in France and in other state members less and less. Therefore, we have to import an increasing proportion of what we consume. The consequence of this is an increasing deficit and plants shutting down. We consume what others are producing. This is the main problem. And if we don't make this at this diagnostic, we cannot
explain the solution to our people. And the real challenge for us is to convince the French opinion that there is no other way to uh, uh, go back to growth than to tell this part of the truth. We need to bring back onshoring activities. The French crisis, as the British one, is not a demand crisis. It's a supply crisis. And I tell that because many persons, even in France, uh, among the political leaders coming from the, west, from the left wing, are still saying now that the problem is a problem of demand. It's not a problem of demand. It's a problem of supply. Uh, what is at stake? It's our ability to produce and sell more goods and services. We will come out of the deep root in which we sink only if we are able to change our growth model. For many years, France has artificially fueled demand by developing public employment and by redistributing money from the government to the different economic agents. All this funded by a continued increase in taxes and public deficits. And let's be frank, this model worked. It worked for a long time. We are, I speak about France, the fifth GDP in the world. This model worked for a long time, but it's not sustainable anymore. And the crisis of 2008 was the revelation of that. We must make Europe, Europe a land of producers and not only a land of consumers. Our future is therefore tied to our ability to integrate value added, to rebring value onshore. Our ability to sell internationally, our, our ability to keep up with global growth and particularly the growth of in emerging countries. That is to say that, according to me, uh, the idea that we can sign with America a treaty for trade, this can be an opportunity if we make the effort to implement structural reforms. Because if not, we have no chance to be successful in such a negotiation. Or the opportunity of this treaty is to bring more growth. But we can do it only if we implement the structural reforms that make our country able to sell and not only to buy to produce and not only to, con to consume. So, by saying that, and probably uh, I have many people here who agree with the diagnostic, we now have to find how to do that. The challenge, the challenge is to reduce the weight of the state in the economic sphere in order to release energy, to generate leeway to invest, where citizens expect more public power. That is to say, to be less present in, less active in economic fields, to get money, to be more active in security, justice, education, immigration, um, and integration of immigrants. Let's tell things like they are. A moment of truth has come. It's either we rebuild our model to make it more competitive in the global economy, or we will go out of history. In France, I am not totally sure that the government is aware of this upheaval. Because of the weight of ideology, because of the fact that a 
an important part of the political leaders in the left wing look disconnected from the economic reality. They don't speak English enough, they don't travel enough, and they don't want to show that to the French people. And this is unfortunately a good representation of the French spirit. You know that one of the, the worst problems that we have in France is that the French people do not speak foreign language. And as we are a proud people, we don't want to show that to them. So don't, we don't speak with them. So we speak only with us about French problems, between French. No comparison, never, with other countries to make sure that nobody can show us that we are weaker than we are. It's, not, it's just not the way to do. And I think that the responsibility that is our, as political leader from my generation, is to say, we tell the truth, but when we tell the truth, it's not to say everything will be, will be terrible. No, it's to say we can be confident on future because we have the capacities, we have the assets to do that. But we need to be led because France is a country where politics is very important. In France, we are always looking where the head of state is looking. And if he's confident, if he's positive, if he brings the country to what's going on abroad, it's not the same than when he say, no solution. I am just going to increase taxes because I need money to pay for deficits, and that's all, folks. And this is exactly the challenge that UMP, the right wing, has to face. Um, when the, the, the government take office, took his office, sorry, he began by, undo, by undoing all the structural reforms that uh, had been initiated by Nicolas Sarkozy. Um, he decided to return on the pension reform, to remove the fiscal and social taxes exemption system on overtime that was designed to counterbalance the terrible 35 hours legislation. He launched a massive plan to increase taxes, 32 billion euros of extra tax within one year. And we had two more billion yesterday with the family policy. It's just impossible to, to be dynamic with such a level of taxes. Um, today, François Hollande finds himself pushed to the wall. And this is maybe an opportunity. I say that as I am the leader of the opposition party, and maybe this can be surprising, but I hear the, the speech that François Hollande delivered two weeks ago in Leipzig. Uh, it was for the 150th uh, anniversary of the SDP, the German Socialist Party. And he praised the reforms initiated by Gerhard Schröder. And we campaigned all the time by saying, we wish we could have in France as the leader of the Socialist Party, someone like Gerhard Schröder, with the famous agenda that he launched in 2003 of structural reforms. Um, so I said publicly that if François Hollande was all right to launch an agenda that could be 
the same ambition than the one that Gerhard Schroeder launched in Germany in 2003, I will support him. I take my risk. <laughs> but I think this is for France. I am not sure that it's a big risk, actually. I, I wish for my country. But some socialist leaders afterwards said, no, no, he said that only because he wanted to be polite with the German um, socialists. So we don't really know. But actually, and more seriously, there is something that I can say for sure. It's the fact that uh, François Hollande is now facing a real dilemma. Like François Mitterrand, in 1983, two years after his elections, maybe you don't remember because you are too young, but at that time, François Mitterrand was totally um, placed in, in a real deadlock, and he had to change globally his policy. I don't know what François Hollande is going to say and to decide, but the fact that his majority is very far left, is now a real problem for him. And I am not sure that he will have the majority to implement structural reforms. During his electoral campaign, maybe you remember last year, his program was based on additional public hiring and included no structural reform. He was denying the reality of the crisis. Even the word was not pronounced. Its majority is composed of, the so of a socialist party that is much more on the left wing than any other European socialist party. And of a green party, which is in France very close to the left wing, much more uh, far left than green. And all of this makes the prospect of a political turn difficult, even if though it's an absolute necessity. But I consider that my, my job is not only to be an opponent. My job is also to, to bring everybody to new proposals. And according to me, there are three, three priorities of reform. No surprise for a public that is uh, living in Great Britain, but big surprise for France. First of all, we need to reform the labor market and to reform it very, very boldly. We need to allow more flexibility in our firms. Um, today, while claiming to overprotect people who have a contract, we pose a barrier to mobility. We discourage corporations from hiring because they feel that they will not be able to fire employees if necessary. And this is today one of the main reasons of the high-level of unemployment rate because of the weak level of, gro of growth. In a similar fashion, we do not lead efficiently the unemployed towards work. We must strengthen the monitoring of job seekers because today, as you know, the main problem is to monitor the job seekers, to see how we can individually um, protect each situation in order to bring each situation, each job seeker, to a job. The second priority, no surprise again, is to, to reform our um, pension system. Nicolas Sarkozy 
did a great job, but we have, of course, to move forward. We must rise the legal age of retirement. We need to unify all pension systems on the same basics. This means billions and billions of economy. And finally, the th third priority is the decline of in public spendings and charges. Um, we are today the highest level of uh, public spendings versus GDP, 56%. The average level in the, United, the, the European Union is 49. I think we could reach this goal. Um, I will just give a single measure as an example, because it's a very symbolic one. As you know, in France we have the state, 22 regions, 100 departments, 100 departments, and 36,000 cities. If we just could merge région et département, only that could bring us to a real global public um, um, effectivity, effectiveness. Finally, we must proceed with a comprehensive reform of our education and training system, and if you have questions on that, I would be very happy to, to comment that. Um, my idea is that these reforms are structural reforms, but we are not very far to do, the, to do it. We can be very easily um, an attractive country for investments, as we did, with, did it for research and development, R&D. Um, with tax reductions, attractiveness uh, for our scientists, artists, investors, universities. Um, we really need to move forward on these questions, and I am sure that we can do within a short time if uh, there is a public debate on this question and if we tell the truth to the French people. Because according to me, the real problem is that most of the political leaders in France, coming from the left or the right as well, do not want to tell the truth because they are sure, according to them, that they won't be successful in elections because they think that the medias will be against them. They are probably right for the second part. I'm not sure they are for the first part because what we are living now brings the French people to be conscious about the fantastic weakness of a policy based on taxes, on tax increase and public spending increase. And this is really a terrible um, awareness and, and experience for a, a big part of the French people. That's why the, the latest polls for uh, Hollande are so, um, so bad. I would like to say a word about Europe because these are the efforts that France must do, but every European country, according to me, must also make the necessary efforts to improve its competitiveness. It's not only a French problem. And even in Great Britain, even in London, where we think that everything is fantastic because it's dynamic, we cannot forget that uh, the Great Britain, like Germany, like Italy, like Spain, like other countries, we all have to make efforts on the question of competitiveness because things are getting very fast,
And we need the youth, the European youth, to wear this progress. Um, Europe, European citizens are looking up to us. We will have uh, elections next June 2014. These elections for the European Parliament will be very important. As usual, the extremist parties, the populist parties, will try their best to make the highest score because they know that usually these elections are the best for them, for all the kind of demagogy. And I cannot accept that. I want that the parties coming from the left wing, the right wing, sorry, uh, be, <laughs> this is our job, let's try to do it, the right wing, we make the best effort to, to, to bring the public opinion in Europe to some key questions about the future of Europe. And I would like to bring you to um, the very interesting uh, speech that David Cameron, that I met at the beginning of the afternoon, delivered last January. I don't want to speak about the part of the speech with concerned with the uh, domestic policy. We all have our problems. Um, and I'm, like everybody, worrying about the, the, the prospect of a referendum, of course, because in France we never win any kind of referendum. <laughs> but what is interesting, it's the fact that in this speech, David gives a very, very accurate diagnostic of the situation of Europe today on what is the fantastic success of Europe and what are also the weak points in Europe. When he says that we have reached the main, the first um, project, which is peace in Europe, he is right. And personally, I regret that the Nobel Peace Prize awarded to the European Union's uh, two years ago or 18 months ago, uh, was not considered and praised as one of the most beautiful events of the decade. Because it was a real event. When you know the history of this, of this continent, having the Nobel Prize, you have always people who said, well, it's not important. It is important. Remember that we are going to commemorate in a year the centennial of the First World War. I hope this will be the opportunity for the whole European people to take awareness about, about what was the First World War. Millions of dead. A real tragedy. The, the capacity for countries, for populations, to uh, fight against each other for understandable, understand, ununderstandable uh, goals. Um, and it was only a hundred years the generation of our grandparents. So the fact that for 70 years now, we have been living in peace, except, of course, the terrible tragedy of what happened in the ex-Yugoslavia, means a lot about what can be a fantastic uh, success for Europe to be in peace. But then, there is a failure. 
the incapacity of Europe to bring all our countries to growth and, and prosperity. However, however, we are now uh, one of the strongest economy in the world. We are not growing. And this is now the challenge that we have to face. And according to me, the speech of Cameron cannot be only interpreted as Euroscepticism. It's much more than that. It's a sort of, of call. He says, let's think together how we can implement reforms in Europe. Because we can do it together. And uh, as I have had discussions with him and with William Haig, I think those, those guys really want to do it. And we, as French, as German, as Italian, as Spanish, we have to do it too. If we go to the next parliamentary elections by saying everything is all right, it's a little bit difficult, but you know, in one or two years it will be all right. We will be totally failing. And the populist parties will be winning the next elections. In, a, in another sense, if we say, okay, let's try to think about what, when, what can we do all together in order uh, to go back to growth and to prosperity. This is another story. Or I've been noticed that Cameron, Merkel, Barroso, even if it's in, with different words, are calling for a big reflection for the future of Europe. I consider that the UMP opposition has to do it too for France, as François Hollande kept silent. And we have one ambition, to propose a project to which the peoples will identify. Indeed, Europe won't go much further without popular support. We can't build Europe against the will of Europeans. And this is the main problem today. Sorry about that. We are educated people here, talking about the same things, with the same language and the same ideas. But we have a big part of our populations who say, Europe, what for? And that's why, like my friend Pierre Lequillet, we are advocating the idea that what is important is to build a Europe for results, for solutions, for capacity to bring concrete answers to the problems. Basically, the pop, the, the, our fellow citizens, they all say the same. We don't care if you do it by a national, a local, or a European solution. We just want you to do it. We have a problem for security. Do it. A problem for growth, for job creation, for uh, uh, trade um, reg reg uh, regulations, for uh, agriculture, industry, energy. Tell, tell us how to be efficient. We will support you, but be efficient. Bring us results. If there is no results, we won't support you. This is the key issue. Because even if a part, an important part of the population is not totally aware about the complexity of the Europe, European rules, they don't really care. They just want us to do the job. And we don't do the job. We cannot lie about that. 
because today the high level of unemployment, the, high, the, the low level of growth is the proof that we are not successful. And so this means that we have to, to bring uh, a new path. And I think this needs to think about a new distribution of competences, what is called the subsidiarity. Um, and to do this, we must go over the outdated divisions. You know, in France, we have a big debate about Europe to say the one who are for the um, federalism, federal Europe, like the United States of America. And then you have another part who say, never. We are sovereignist. We are for the independence of our countries, like uh, our Quebecian friends. This is the typical debate that makes us sure that nothing will happen, because it's not the good debate. The reality is this is just impossible to do. I am sorry. We can have a dream. We can expect that uh, in a century, two centuries, we will be able to do it. But we cannot do it against the people. And the people will, will, don't want, will not do it because they are not confident. They are not confident. They don't trust us. And so, according to me, we should avoid this kind of debate and bring us to a, a new uh, uh, thought about, a new think about, a new distribution of competences. Let's be concrete. Um, there are areas where we need to assume a greater European integration. I think first of the economic dimension. Although these matters are particularly difficult since the UK is outside the Eurozone, I think we need to focus on the convergence of our fiscal uh, policies. And I also believe that we need to further assert the power of the European Union in international trade negotiations. Uh, especially with the United States in the next treaty. About the issue of energy, I cannot understand why Europe is just unable to imagine a big structure to weigh on the price of energy that we are importing. We are all doing that by our own. France, Germany, Italy, northern of Europe, Southern of Europe, that's all. By the fact that we are much more involved in nuclear, when our German friends say we don't want nuclear anymore, we don't speak about energy because we don't want problems. And at the same time, the price of oil, of gas, coming from abroad, we just have to pay, that's all. How can we imagine that in a, a, a continent of 27 state members? 450 million of inhabitants. This is just unresponsible. Um, there are areas where we need to push for strengthened uh, cooperation between uh, willing states without waiting for those who do not want to move. Uh, it's called the uh, Europe of Circles. I like this idea. The idea that some pioneers, pioneers states start the job and say, we try something together three, four, five, six state members, we try it, and if it's all right, we can generalize. Um, let's talk about defense. 
the question of defense, it's a major issue. Or um, if we don't do anything on this question, I mean, we cannot expect to be um, a big, um, uh, um, a, a big continent heard everywhere in the world. Um, today, on the defense policy, there are only two countries, France and the United Kingdom. That's all. We are uh, paying for the whole Europe. Libya, Afghanistan, uh, Iraq, not France, but Great Britain. At each, each of these military interventions, it's paid by the countries. Remember what happened to the Mali. If Hollande hasn't decided to do it alone, jihadists would have took Mali into control. And thanks for this decision. I supported it. But he was alone. Germans said, very good idea. Try your best. Our British friends said, we like you very much. We support you. But you know, in Mali, we speak French. <laughs> That's true. Exactly like that. So, of course, we have the support, logistic support, some help, because then afterwards they come. And, but that's all. And, you know, it's a pity for us, as we are sharing the same common interests. We are fighting against terrorism. We, knew, we know how dangerous are the development of jihadism everywhere in the world. It's a pity to see that we are not able to develop a common defense policy in Europe. So according to me, we will have to develop sort of circles, France and Great Britain. And thanks God, this cooperation is just fantastic. Remember what happened in Libya? And I really wish we could do more with other countries like Germany and others in Europe. Um, in another part, what's happen what is happening now in Syria is terrible. It's a tragedy. How can the European community, 27 state members, cannot be able to be active on the Syrian tragedy? Yesterday we learned, unfortunately, about the fact that um, Assad is now using... Um, gas, toxic gas. Um, this has been confirmed by French and British authorities. So of course we have to do something. Of course the options have to be on the table. But two years after, this conflict has been starting two years ago. These opportunities exist in our treaties and they are not applied. Um, Finally, there are areas in which the most effective action is not done at a European level, but a national one. Let's talk about immigration. Immigration is in the mind of every European citizen. We are all talking about that everywhere. And by saying that, I know that I am politically very incorrect, because it's forbidden. We consider that it's a very, very troubling subject. But what is at stake? The capacity to reduce immigration in order 
to be to make successful assimilation integration what we want is to make sure that the immigrants that are coming in our countries are successful successful in their job in the family in the house to be sure that everything is positive and not negative that they are able to to share common values and so on today this is a big failure in many countries for many families and the question of immigration must be uh, uh, raised not to say we don't want any kind of, any, of immigration but just to organize to control to make sure that people can be successful in the way they are um, uh, immigrating, immigrating in, in, in the countries um, this of course raised the question of Schengen I think Schengen must be assessed not every decade, not every uh, uh, election, de but assessed every year in order to see what are the states who are efficient, what are the ones who are not efficient, and how can we uh, update this uh, agreement. So as you see, we have many examples. I could give you many others. Many examples of things that we can do in order to, to be more efficient. And I want to conclude by recalling the very essential. On the global scale, the great powers assert themselves and defend their values and interests. Do we still want to weigh uh, in front of them? Or do we resign ourselves to a slow European decline. This is uh, exactly what is at stake. In uh, a world that is in turmoil, I promote a Europe that is a carrier of a spiritual, moral, and cultural heritage, which serves as a benchmark for citizens and a signal of light on the international scheme. I promote a Europe on the offensive, which help citizens to develop their talents and to succeed globally. And just to conclude, I will just give you a short anecdote. Um, a few years ago, I had a very interesting discussion with a minister, a member of government uh, from uh, um, Tunisia. It was under the presidency of Ben Ali. And he said, you know, we are admiring the European model. And I say, you are admiring the European model? How, how it can be admirable? I mean, we, are, we have crises, we have problems, we have difficulties, we have debates, we have divisions. He said, no, no. Europe and European Union is a miracle. 27 state members, 13 languages, all the religions, and you are successful in your capacity to have a political union. Uh, one currency with the euro and prosperity compared to what we have to face and the guy said to me we are five countries in North Africa same language same religion totally unable to speak to the other one totally unable to bring us to prosperity political union political respect have a look to what is now North Africa so this is just to make a sort of, to 
to, to be relative in the way we are analyzing things and be more positive in the capacity of this continent to, uh, to keep on running and to uh, move forward to uh, a modernization. So this is what is at stake, and I think we have to present that as more positive, and this is, will make the difference, and that's why I am confident for France and Europe. Thank you. If you... Jean-François Coupé will now take um, questions. Could you please, uh, there are a few microphones, uh, state your name and your affiliation. Gentleman with the uh, checkered shirt and the glasses. Good evening. My name is uh, Clément Cangilosi. I'm a French student at Regents College. Uh, thank you for your conference. It was really interesting. I would like to ask a question to you. Um, you said that um, English level of French people is not good enough. I agree with that. You also said that politicians should say the truth to their citizens. So as a president of uh, UMP, I would like to ask you um, why uh, UMP members of parliament disagree with the governmental bill for teaching more English in university. Thank you. I do agree with you. Uh, it's, a, it's a tragedy. I was upset with that. And I, am not, I was not alone. Um, you know, I, I founded um, seven years ago a uh, think tank, Génération France. And I really think, I really thank uh, Stéphane and Jean-Luc Alavena and Thibault Contra des Fontaines to help us for the organization of this meeting. Because according to me, this is a key issue for France and for the future of our youth. The debate that we had in France about this question was terrible. Because, as you know, what was at stake? The only question of uh, leave some teachers, teach in English some uh, lessons. That was all. And it was, for us, the opportunity to be more attractive for foreigner students. Unfort uh, well, fortunately, uh, the bill has been adopted. Um, but I do agree with you that this debate was not the good one. It was totally outdated. And we had this discussion inside of the, of the uh, UMP uh, parliament, and I said to all my fellow colleagues, like Pierre Lequillet, who speaks much better English than I, because, only because his mother is British. That's all. <laughs> it's weird. It's not exactly the same level of competitiveness. Um, that was a pity, a real pity. But it's typical French debate. I mean, we have to be bold and to say things, that's all. You know, the problem of France, I love the French people, but I am aware about the fact that in France, we are very much involved in politics and in history, which is very good. No problem with that. But... I wish we could also be involved in economy and in geography, which would be much more useful to understand the reality of the world. And as the world is speaking mainly English, it's better to speak in English. That's all. 
Gentleman at the back with the, um, the jacket. Hey, my name is Tom Schuller. I'm a former employee of OECD, so I was an ex-resident of France. Can I make one comment and then a question? The comment is actually on the language issue. I was very, uh, you know, it was a semi-humorous remark maybe about French people only speaking French. But if, if I could just dare to make a suggestion coming from a country that also doesn't, uh, not renowned for speaking uh, other languages, particularly fluently. On the education system, I had a daughter who was in the French education system. <clears throat> and I was very struck how the assessment French education is always a negative one. So you avoid making mistakes. It's true across subjects. And in one area of language, of education above all, it is important to make mistakes, and that is learning a language. So if I could offer in total humility that when you think about your reforms for your French education system, allow people to make mistakes without being punished, and their language will improve. But my question is about Franco-German relations in the, in the European context. Uh, I think uh, even under President Sarkozy and also under President Hollande, relations have not been that easy with uh, Germany. So I'd like to hear what your anticipation is of how to uh, improve relations with Germany, particularly in a context now where, in my view, very seriously, there are total imbalances in the position of Germany in its relationship with other uh, European countries? Um, <clears throat> I am personally very, very much involved in the quality of the relations between France and Germany. And, and I am very much worrying about the fact that Hollande uh, is now keeping a high level of distance with, with Germany. And it's a real problem because it's not only a personal problem of relations between Hollande and, and, and Merkel. This is not good. It's better when people are getting good together. But it's not only problem, a problem of personal relations. It's a problem of conception of public policy. Um, according to me, there is no Europe if there is not a link very strong between France and Germany. Because this is the main driver of Europe. I wish I could say the same from, for your country. But unfortunately, it's not the reality. So let's not be liars. And that's why I'm very happy of the discussion I had this afternoon with, with David Cameron, who told me that he really wanted to work with UMP, uh, the Conservative Party and UMP, on European problems in order to tell to his own fellow, um, co uh, fellow colleagues that um, we are able to move and to reform Europe and we have the capacity to do it and we have the political will to do it. Um, so this means that the, act, the, the link between Germany and France is a key issue. And I do my best every time to, uh, to, to, to say to our German friends that we can have differences on some points, but we have to work uh, together. But there is another problem. This problem is that Germany has already done the agenda Schroeder, the Schroeder agenda. They have done the job for 10 years. Uh, we haven't totally done the job. We have been doing it, but not enough. We are half path. And Francois Hollande doesn't want to 
continue the work that have been done. So this is our problem now, because our German friends said, we did the job. We weren't popular. We did it. What about you? We say, we are unpopular and the job is not totally done, so maybe there is a question. <laughs> what I can tell you is that, of course, I will do the best I can to improve these relations because it's, for me, the main driver of Europe. And we need for that, we French, to implement the structural reforms. Pension system, labor market, and decrease public spendings. We have to do it. And we will have no choice. Gentleman in the middle. Apologies. Next, next in line. Uh, it's it's Philippe Belo. I'm working a lot in connection with Eastern Europe and Russia, and I would like to hear from you, Mr. Copé. How do you see the relationship between the Russian Federation and the European Union? Thank you. Well, um, we have many things to do with the Federation Russia. Russian Federation, sorry. Many things to do. Um, and we are doing many things. The problem is that usually the relations are between the, the Russian Federation and state members individually taken. There is no uh, global strategy. And in another part, we have a real diplomatic difference. And this is probably the key issue today. When you see what happens in Syria, for instance, where the European Union should be very active to take initiative, like our American friends, and at the same time, the Russia um, is totally opposed, we have a main challenge to face. So according to me, all what we can do to uh, implement a new impetus in these relations, including diplomacy, would go in the good sense. And as you can imagine, we are far from that today, very far. Lady with the, uh, the trumpet. Hello, my name is Natalia. I'm a student uh, of the, uh, the University of London. You haven't touched on this subject, but uh, it's more of a provoking question, maybe. Um, France recently became uh, the 14th country to allow the gay marriage. And don't you think that in the future we will look back and feel ashamed for denying gay people their rights in the same way we're now ashamed for denying uh, people their rights on base of race and gender in the past? Thank you. Um, no, I wouldn't use the word, the word shame. Uh, this was a debate. It's not a problem of racism because it was not a problem of homophobia. There is no, no link with that. Some people had homophobes behaviors and they have to be condemned. But this was not the key issue. The key issue was not the problem of um, marriage. It was mainly the problem of adoption the question of children, much more than the question of uh, marriage between two persons from the same uh, sex. The real debate we had in France was on the question of children, um, of uh, uh, full adoption, of um, what we call in France um, 
PMA, um, which is MAP in, in English, I think, Medically Assisted uh, Procreation. Um, this was a very important debate that we had in France. Uh, my point is just to say, please, let's respect everybody. The one who we're against, like the one who we're for. There is not, in one side, the modern, and the other side, the archaic. It was two different opinions that has to be respected, according to me. No, the law has been um, adopted, so it will be, uh, of course, uh, implemented. That's all I can say. But there is no shame. No shame. It's a question of values, that's all. Excuse me? I am against adoption because I consider that what is um, beside this question is the question of the right of children and the possibility for them to uh, know their biological origin. And the full adoption is the negation of that. I think that the question of sexual alterity is a reality. And the fact that with this law, there will, no, there will be no... Um, differentiation between the mother and the father is a problem for the children, can be a problem for the children, for the education. I know that these questions are existing, the situations are existing, of course, but we cannot say that it's not a problem. It can be a problem for these children. So uh, we had this debate. Uh, my, my only, question, my only uh, uh, demand is just to say, respect my opinion as I respect yours. Because this is a real debate, and we cannot say that the good are in this way, the bad is in the other way. No. I think it's much more uh, sensitive than that. Well, many hands. Gentleman over there. Um, good evening, Mr. Copé. Thank you for coming. Um, my name is Guillermo Geraldo Fustes. I'm a Spanish student at King's College London. And I have a very Southern European question. Um, well, as you know, we have been through a lot of austerity plans, and, well, growth isn't precisely coming. And some senior economists, such as uh, Christine Lagarde, have been suggesting that maybe a reactivation of the economy in more, um, how would I say, um, direct manners uh, would be appropriate. What, what is your um, position on such an idea? Thank you. I think we have to find the average way between austerity policy and um, the necessity to spend money for growth. We have to find the balance between both. If we are too high level of austerity, it can be a tragedy for growth. That's true. But we have any way to make a big, big effort to decrease uh, public spending especially on fields where they are totally inefficient. Um, it's very interesting to see what happens in, 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 the United, in the United Kingdom today. David Cameron has been launching this new policy since two years and a half now. So it will be very interesting to see what will be the result at the end of his term. Today, the level of un unemployment is much better than in France. The level of deficit is higher, um, and he's keeping on uh, the effort to reduce public spendings. Um, the jobs, the public jobs that have been suppressed, it's exactly the same level than the one 
that have been created in the private sector. Let's see what will be the end of the story. There is one thing which is totally sure, is that we cannot bring back growth with a high level of taxation and of public spendings uh, in this situation that we, have, we are facing now with the general crisis. So we know that. And my opinion is that we really need to implement structural reforms. There is no solutions. I know it's difficult, politically difficult. I know that it can be hard in short term for, for growth, but at the end of the day, I, I don't see how to do it in another way. What happened? When, what was the problem with Spain? In, in Spain, all these structural reforms have been done. Oh yeah. Okay. Yes, but the situation is in Spain is a little bit uh, different because they have no industries. They had to face a, a, a terrible bubble in real estate because of uh, uh, an awful choice uh, of strategy at the beginning of the century. So the situation is a little bit different, according to me, but. When you compare two economies that are quite close, France and, and Great Britain, that have to face the same problems of shorings, uh, failure in, in some industries, I mean, I think that there is a real capacity to go back to growth by reducing public spendings. But at the same time, you really have to invest in education, uh, research, and attractiveness, and this is probably the challenge that our two countries have to face. This gentleman. So my name is, I have to wake up? Yeah. So my name is Abidine Ordine, I'm a PhD student in economics. I know you. Yeah. <laughs> I know you we also. met this afternoon. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I wanted to come with me to see Cameron, but it's not possible. Unfortunately, it wasn't but there. this time it was yeah. not possible. <laughs> that was the joke. Uh, so I'm not going to talk about economics today. Um, actually, um, I'm interested in, you know, your last intervention on immigration. So you see, I can speak English. Huh? Uh, <laughs> so, and uh, I think that the main problem here and in Europe, it's not specific to France, is that when we talk about immigration, we talk only about the net immigration, that is people coming from abroad. But I think that that's the wrong way to see the problem. I think that when people talk about immigration in their home, they are talking about people like me. I'm French, okay, I live in Toulouse, beautiful city, um, but the thing is that uh, my parents are immigrants and there are many people who are around me that believe that they are not French, you know, they are the immigrant. So, and I think that's a, a basic problem of democracy because uh, the thing is that the I don't know how to express it uh, outside the languages of statistics, but it seems that there is a kind of Sample selection bias, you have always the same people on TV that represent, you know, I mean, when I say on TV, I say politicians. And uh, I think that politicians are not, you know, they don't have the guts to tackle this problem of failure of integration of, you know, people like, uh, like me. Okay. No, you're right. So I don't know what do you think because, you know, uh, maybe they are not, everyone is not French. Mr. Copé is known for, you know, telling, I mean, no, no, I mean answering questions that are difficult. And what do you think about my analysis about immigration? Do you think... I, I do mean, agree. You are right. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> no risk today. No risk. No, you are right. You are right. Um, uh, let me tell you a, a short story. 
Um, I am mayor of Meaux, which is a city close to Paris, with 53% of social housings, 27 various nationalities. I mean, it's real representation of the uh, challenges of our society in, in its diversity. And I had a very interesting story that told me one of my good friends who were working uh, in a private company. And he said, you know, I am coming from Morocco. My, he said, my parents were Moroccan. They came in, in France, I don't know, in the 60s or whatever. I was born in France. But the problem is that when I am here, people say, where are you from? And when I come back to Morocco in order to visit my, my, my grandparents, they say, no, you are French. <laughs> you are not anymore with, you, with us. You are French. And this is a real problem of identity, you know? And this is specifically in France. You don't find that in other countries. Well, even if you, if you find it, it's not felt like that. I mean, it's not negative. In France, unfortunately, sometimes it's a negative perception. And the thing that we have to do now is to put that away and to try to be positive, to see how we can bring um, the positive things of immigration. But for that, we really need to be successful in integration. We really need to say to every person who immigrated in France, no, you are arrived. You are French. You are uh, totally involved in French values, French culture. You have your own religion, your own, relig your own origin, but you are French. And you are here to build your part of the French success. And this is not in the political speech. In French, we have tensions, we have apprehensions, we have fears, and we really have to put that away. And it's very difficult. Because at the same time, as we know, there are extremist movements from everywhere. Extreme right, far right, far left, but also integrists who are very tough, saying that there is no future in France. The best is to practice religion and to put religions in front of everything. And this brings fear everywhere. So the, the real challenge for, for someone who is leading a, Democratic Party fighting against far right, as I am doing, is to say, let's try to face this challenge and to be positive. And it's a long way, of course, you are right. But I think we have to do that. And according to me, if we are successful within 10 or 15 years, we can have a, a country much more confidence in its capacity to develop itself and to develop its growth. Good evening, my name is Victoria. I'm French students uh, at EDEC Business School. Um, I'm sorry because my question is related to immigration also. Um, in Europe, in France also, um, it is commonly admitted that we have uh, an increasingly uh, aging population. And according to some experts, immigration could be called uh, addressed this problem. So, what is your position uh, for this uh, problem, and uh, what's your plan for this? Well, my position is that uh, we need to be cautious on the immigration policy. Um, 
I want my country to be attractive, but not to be attractive with social benefits, to be attractive with its capacity to bring immigrants to be successful in France, with their job, with their uh, professional uh, course, and this is what is at stake. The problem today is that there is no real debate on this question and no real policy. And this is exactly what I would like to build with UMP, the capacity to be attractive uh, by the way you are successful when you are an immigrant coming in France. You see? And this is the, the, the most difficult challenge we have to face. And it's relied to the question of age population. Gentleman with the uh, blue shirt, just there. They all have blue shirts. <laughs> the closer one. <laughs> Hello, good evening, and uh, first of all, thank you, Stefan, for arranging the event and for having Jean-François Copé coming over here Stéphane to speak to the very, French very community. very, very good friend of mine and very brilliant man. And, yeah, so I, I meant to say thank you for inviting... Uh, <laughs> I wanted to tell it. Yeah, good. And, and I think it's good for us, you know, that uh, we have you coming over because it's a sort of a gathering point because we are all across London, all across yes. the UK and we don't meet so often. And I so. appreciate that you are all here and uh, I knew that it was a good opportunity to arrange meeting between you. Good. So yeah, my point is, uh, sorry, my name is Alexandre and uh, I live in London now for 12 years and uh, actually my first year I was selling pain au chocolat in London. So it's uh, <laughs> maybe a common point. Uh, no, I know sorry, that I've done a lot for the <laughs> reputation of the pain chocolat yeah. in the whole world. It's great. It's, um, it's my way to promote French products. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that, I guess. Um, so I'm also, in terms of affiliation, I'm just part of a small cir circle. It's called Cercle Littéraire François Villon. Oh. So, if anyone is interested in uh, speaking of French literature, we speak of English tonight, we spoke of the English language, etc. But, you know, we're also defending here the French literature and the French language. So, Cercle Littéraire François Villon. <laughs> <laughs> A little bit of advertisement. Thank you. The LSE. Uh, no, sorry. M more seriously, no, m my point is um, I, th I think there are a couple of things in your. Uh, uh, intervention that were interesting. Some other points that I think were, you know, paradoxical. You know, I, I don't understand why you speak of reform of education exactly. What do you mean, and how does it relate to privatization? But maybe we can keep that aside. My, my I think what I felt really uh, uh, interested uh, is on the understanding of what is your position regarding tax evasion and banking reform. Because we know that here in the UK at this very moment, tax evasion and banking reform is a big problem and is being addressed. We don't know yet how, but it's, it's on the agenda. It's at the very top of the agenda. And you didn't mention that a single time in your speech tonight. So um, when we hear things like uh, the LIBOR scandal, for example, it's been a big, big issue here in the UK. And I think we've got the same kind of problems in France where we have the uh, BNP, Société Générale and other banks that are massive banks. They are called systemic banks. And we haven't heard one single thing in your speech tonight. You know, the, the money that those organizations are handling is 8,500 billion euros just for the French banks a year. So you're speaking of reforming pensions, you speak of reforming the labor market, and we're speaking there of 10 of millions euros when you don't handle the big 
thousand billions of euros. And again, you know, tax evasion is a big issue, and we know specifically in France with what happened with the former budget minister, he had to resign. And I'm very, very curious to hear what you've got to say on that, because I think it will be a massive point for the coming elections when you say people don't buy what we're saying because they don't believe it's efficient enough. I think one of the key issues is the credibility on this very problem. So I'd like to hear what you've got no, to say. No, Thank you. I have no disagreement with you at all. No problem. Of course, tax evasion is a very, very huge problem. As you know, it's in the agenda of the G8. Uh, we are all very much involved in that. And, of course, we have to do uh, the best in order to reduce the tax evasion. Uh, I mean, there is no, no disagreement at all. Uh, but understand, I, I must tell you something. It's, for me, it's not a challenge as a structural reforms that we have to convince the, the population. I mean, the public opinion is totally agreeing on this question. So the problem now is to see how can we be efficient to do it. And this needs a very strong coordination with all the the states uh, and, of course, the banking system. But according to me, there is no doubt about the necessity to be very, very tough on this question. No doubt and no disagreement with you. The lady over there with the scarf. Um, my name is Bami Dede. Um, I work here in an uh, investment bank in London. So, um, I was born in Paris. I speak six languages. Wow. <laughs> and uh, I have um, a degree, a top de I had a top education in France. I would like, to know, you just I would like to know how you could make uh, the job market more attractive for people like me from the immigration. In what field? In any field. <laughs> no, 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 because a lot, of no, a lot of people like me or any, uh, not from the immigration or from the immigration, they live in France because they can't find jobs. So I was wondering how can you um, benefit from the experience that we gain abroad to bring us back to France, to elevate France on the path growth? I think what is, what is at stake is our capacity to monitor job seekers uh, personal, with personal um, attention. My experience as a mayor uh, is that if we want to be efficient against unemployment, we have to take into account each situation which is different from the other, and to um, try to make the link with the companies, because at the same time, most of the companies today are not in enough mobilized on this question. So I think the, the real question today is to reform the public system in order to be much more uh, involved in each individual situation, because your situation, for instance, is different from another one. And of course, there is a question of immigration, but according to me, it's not the main question. The question is education. It's uh, to see how to, to give the best advice to each person in order for her or him to make the best choice for his career and his studies. The lady at the back. Good evening. My name is Claire. I'm a student here at the LSE uh, in double degree in um, European Affairs. But actually my question would be about the three priorities you gave for reform, yeah. and actually about the fourth one of those three priorities, education. about education, because you actually didn't uh, draw on it, and I mean, I think this might perhaps be the key for all of the other reforms you talked yeah. about. Mm -hmm. A word about that. Uh, first of all, 
um, I, I make the link with what you were saying about your daughter, sir. Um, I think that the French system is very well organized for good students. Uh, when you are good at school, you can be excellent in your studies and then find a job. Um, the problem is for the children who have to face difficulties because the system in France uh, brings us to learn many things on many fields. There is one thing that we don't learn in France, it's to be more self-confident about what we are, about what we can do, about our capacities. And this is relied to what you were saying about the people who were making mistakes. Um, so according to me, we should think about the capacity to bring our children to uh, be more self-confident by, by leading them to things that they like to do, uh, various activities, even if they are not the same level that the one they have today. The second thing is that we have a problem with um, the, I don't know the word in English, illetrisme, the fact, the fact that the more and more children don't read and write correctly uh, when they go to the college. And this is a real uh, worry for us today. And we have to, we should launch a new program in order to improve in that place. And the third thing I would say is that I think that the weakest point in France is the fact that uh, the, the director of the college in France is not a real chief. He should be uh, a real CEO, able to choose the teachers, to evaluate his teachers. He should be evaluated too. And from a college to another one, the situation can be very different, different only because of the personality of the, of the director. And according to me, this must be a priority to evaluate the one who are leading the, uh, the establishments, the, uh, the colleges, you see. And this is, for me, very important. And at the end, I think we don't um, facilitate enough the development of the apprentice. Apprentice? Apprentice. 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 Apprenticeship. Apprentice. No? Apprentices. Uh, this should be a priority, like in Germany. They have fantastic results in that field and not enough in, in our country. So this could be also very important because it's a way to um, create a real link between companies and schools. Today, Unfortunately, there is not enough uh, relations between what we learn in school and what we need in the, in the economic sectors. And s this link has to be rebuilt. This means less ideology and more pragmatism, because unfortunately, there is a big Berlin Wall between the schools and the economic sectors. And I think that this should change in the next years. If you do all that, you will have big progress. Maybe you have the last couple of questions. I know Lucia is looking at me with a dark eye for, for time. Could we have this, the lady over there? And, and, uh, and maybe uh, you're absolutely right. Upstairs, the, the gentleman filming. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. Uh, my name is Claire Hafner, and um, I'm half English, half French. I'm a finance director in the equivalent of a FTSE 200 uh, company here. Um, Jean-François, first of all, 
thought your speech was very, very good and actually resonated a lot um, in, I think, what um, I'd like to think quite a lot of us think, but maybe from the adoption one, because I think a lot of parents actually are completely useless anyway, so you might, it might, might, you might get a good mix with, uh, with uh, a diversity there. Um, but one of the things which strikes me here, I was very lucky in my 20s to move to England, so I'm half English, half French, um, and, uh, and one of the things that's great about England is that creativity, that ability to encourage people to think outside of the box, which, which by the way, is not something that uh, is encouraged in, in France in the French education system. Um, but the, the question I had for you was this. Um, how do you... I completely resonate with your thoughts that we need to tell the French people the truth. I despair now when I see some of my friends, when I look at France, I feel very saddened. When I was in my 20s, it was hard enough to find a job in terms of being in economics, in finance, etc., because the French actually are very culturally sensitive, but they're very poor at economics and they have a deep distrust in wealth creation, and that is a challenge. So how do you... Pers my question to you is this. How do you persuade a French population that is increasingly despondent, and the French have a tendency to be despondent overall as a nation, how do you persuade them? What's your sales pitch to tell? Because actually, if you tell them the, the truth of what is going to have to happen in terms of lower living standards, uh, working a lot longer, which is inevitable, how do you tell them and how do you persuade them? That's my question to you. Well, it's the main one. But how do you do it? I, my idea, my intuition, um, is that we can use this period of opposition, five years, it's very long, four years, but, um, to make pedagogy, to say to the French people, think about the future of your children. I mean, what is the most important in a life is to make sure that your children will have a better life than yours. Or today, and today, we can tell them that if we don't make these reforms, if we don't make some very important decisions, our children will live less good than us, or will have to live, to quit the country. Um, this is enough important to be understood. So then if we say that to the French people, they will say, okay, I understand, but how can you prove that your path is the good one? How can you prove that we can raise, uh, make more money by working more, uh, by having less public spendings, less teachers in the schools, and so on? Um, and I will say, look, you wanted François Hollande. Look the results and the track record of François Hollande. No, but, sorry, there is no... I mean, it's just a reality. Look what's going on. You, you voted for someone who told you that if he was elected, he would increase taxes. He has increased taxes. That he, was, that he would remove all structural reforms that we have been implemented. He did it. That... Uh, on all the promises he made, no one brings us a better life. So you have to try another path. It's a necessity. 
And the one I propose has been experienced in other countries and being more successful than in France. That is my bet. And according to me, what is important is not only to be popular, is to make the job, to, uh, to make the duty. And then, at the end of the day, to say, okay, we had the results, you see? And there is no other opportunity for the French people to uh, go back to growth, to prosperity, without working more, doing more, uh, being more involved. And again, we are still the fifth GDP in the world. I mean, we are not talking about a very poor country, the fifth GDP in the world. So we have assets. We have the capacity to do it. But we need political leaders to say, I am going to do it because it's my duty. I am not focused on the capacity to be popular. I am focused on the capacity to bring a print of what we can do to, bring, to, to implement structural reforms. That's the challenge. That's why I'm in politics. It's the only reasons because for the rest, many sacrifices. We are, we are insulted every day by everybody. We have no free time. Uh, you know, I am very, very known in France, but, but the price is, is high, you see? But if I do it, it's because I think it's my duty. I have to. I mean, no, no discussion. It's because we have to be some people who say, let's stand up and do it for the country. In memory of our parents, grandparents, teachers, all the people who gave you these values for the country. Because I cannot accept the French bashing abroad. I cannot accept to see in the other parts of the world people laughing about France. I mean, it's just un unbearable. So we have to do that. And that's why I'm doing it. And I need help <laughs> and support because I would like to tell you something. I am very proud to see many young French people going abroad to study, to be successful, brilliant. It's the, the image of France as well. But I always think that sometimes you have to, have to keep in mind a small music who said, go back to France <laughs> because we need you. Once we will need you, really. And if once I, would, I had to lead this country, maybe, I would say that first. We need everybody. Come back to France. We need you to be successful. Sir, <clears throat> gentlemen. Hello, Mr. Coppi, um, and thank you very much for coming over tonight and um, for this great discussion. Um, I am Olivier, and I'm a, uh, an engineer here. Um, and um, certainly, I would agree with you that um, um, we all need to bear in mind that we should come back uh, in the countries that educated it us and spent so much effort in uh, raising us as indiv individuals. And I'm very keen to come back to France one day, contribute to my country. Um, <clears throat> well, two things. Well, one, one is just a, a comment. Um, um, I would agree with the gentleman uh, downstairs who um, suggested that we should probably not um, uh, lose focus on um, the banking system's um, 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 defaults or rather issues. Um, <clears throat> for instance, I would have thought 
um, but maybe I'm wrong, that uh, the crisis in, in Europe and in France is possibly as much uh, related to uh, banks such as Goldman Sachs that um, um, your friend Nicolas Sarkozy came to make a conference to for some money. Um, and in Greece as well, indeed, I probably feel the same as I do, uh, than to um, maybe Peugeot Citroën work, line workers. Uh, I don't know whether that's, whether who, who is more responsible for the crisis. Um, but with regards to my question, I would also like to react to um, um, your, your enthusiasm regarding um, improving the um, struggle, or let's say enhancing the struggle against tax evasion. Well, if we, if we, my, my worry here is if we, um, if we really have um, uh, voluntarist policies against tax evasions, then I mean we have to have extremely strong um, um, discussions uh, with countries within the heart of Europe, like Luxembourg, Switzerland, um, about practices that they let people do. So, for instance, they will let, um, I mean, how, how could our political parties finance themselves if um, um, people like your friends Nicolas Sarkozy could not um, create um, what we call front companies, uh, Société Écran in French, like Hain, in order to um, allow kickbacks from um, your friend Ziad Takedin, uh, the arms-dealing uh, middleman, to be transferred. Um, how, how could, um, um, for instance, the sister of the budget um, secretary in Zone 5, uh, was I think yourself, Mr. Copy, uh, how could she have created a, a, a bank account in Switzerland while your same uh, sales arm middleman, Ziad Takedin, was um, introducing Mr. Mr. Sarkozy, Home Office Secretary at that time, to Mr. Gaddafi, um, two years before being elected president. And, um, I think, I think and the saying himself. Is, is that a question? It's a manifesto. No, yeah. it is not a manifesto. <laughs> What can I do? Well, I'm, I mean, I'm wondering how... You are, how you are giving me all the cliches uh, that you... That you've how is your party going to finance himself? Is that Luxembourg or, or Switzerland in, in, in the heart of Europe? So where is the question? I mean, there is, it's not a question, it's a manifesto. What, what do you want me to say? I mean, there are many cliches in what you say. There are public financement for parties. Uh, there are problems, of course, with tax evasion. We talked about that, and I told you that, of course, I am, like everybody, determined uh, and supporting all the in initiatives that are, are done in, in this field. What else? I'm a honest man. I suppose you are an honest man, too. We have conviction. You have yours. I have my IDs. Let's respect each other, and we will be happy, both of us. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very much. We, we've overrun by about four minutes, so thank you all for coming, and um, thank you again to Jean-François Coupé for being here tonight at the LSE.